Well, we've been thinking in recent weeks about the difference between true and false religion, true and false Christianity. Is your religion true, or is it the religion of what the Bible calls and what Christ himself called Antichrist? Because there are many false prophets around. There always have been, but especially in these days, there are many false prophets preaching one who sounds like Christ, who looks to a certain extent like Christ, but if you examine in detail, you will find is a false Christ, is not the true Christ, is not a Christ who can accomplish the salvation of his people. We looked especially at the test that John the Apostle gave in his first epistle, chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. The way you tell, you try the spirits, you try the preachers, you test them, are they preaching is the Jesus that they preach the one who is the Old Testament Messiah, the Christ come in the flesh? And we applied some tests to determine what, what could help you to make that decision. Is the Christ they're preaching the elect head of his elect body? Is he the one set apart by God to accomplish the salvation of a particular people that he calls his sheep? Is he that? Did he accomplish salvation for them? Did he not just make it possible, did he actually accomplish salvation for them, such that they are qualified for heaven, such that they're qualified for heaven? And did he, did he make them what is absolutely required? You know what we must have in order to see God, and without it we will not see God, uh, the epistle to the Hebrews tells us, chapter 12, verse 14, uh, follow after peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. If you're not holy, you will not see God. So how are you going to be holy? You who, in the judgment of God, in the, according to the law of God, are a sinner, worthy of condemnation. In fact, God can do nothing other than condemn you as you are. Now, last week, we looked in some detail at God's sovereign election of his sheep. And uh, we looked in John chapter 10. He calls his people his sheep. This week, I want to look at the salvation that Christ accomplished for his sheep. And I have a text which uh, we're not going to spend very much time in this part of the scripture. But the text is here because of what the words of the verse say. In Isaiah 45... And verse 25, we read this. It, it, these, I love these chapters in the middle of Isaiah. Well, I love the whole book. But uh, the, these chapters particularly are very precious to me. And um, he's been talking about um, God being a just God and a saviour. And there's that verse, Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. And, and uh, so it goes on. He's, he says, every knee will bow. And that's what Paul quotes in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 10. And then in verse 25, he summarizes it. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. We'll refer to many texts, but this is so important. If you're listening for the first time to this message, I want you to think very, very carefully about this. Because you see, eternal life is at stake. The, the eternal state of your soul, your immortal soul, is at stake. 
This is so important. It's a matter of heaven or hell. It's a matter of bliss or sorrow. It's a matter of come ye blessed of my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world or depart from me you who work iniquity. I never knew you. It's that crucial. To enter heaven I must be justified. But according to Job and other places, Job chapter 9 verse 2, how should a man be just with God? How can we be justified? What is it to be justified? It's to be declared without any sin. It's to be declared not guilty of the crime of which I'm accused. That's what it is to be justified. What is it to be justified? My first point. Think of the, the justice of the society in which we live. I know most people that live in Western democracies would say that their justice system is falling apart and that more and more every day we see evidence of the fact that uh, this country and its authorities have forgotten what true justice is. There is so precious little um, taking it from the principles of the word of God. But nevertheless, in principle, society has laws. Things that, generally speaking, that are all about not harming other people by what you do. It has laws to prevent us, to say you shouldn't do this because it might harm somebody else. And people commit offences against that law. And charges are brought. You are charged. that you, There is a law that says you must not steal and you have stolen. This is the charge against you. And there is a trial and evidence is presented before a ju judge and a jury. And a judgment is arrived at where the, the, the 12 people on the jury assess the evidence and with the judge's guidance they come to the conclusion, is this person guilty or not guilty? That's the finding, either guilty or not guilty, either justified or condemned. Justified and set at liberty, you may go free. You're, you're, that, that's, that's, have you seen court dramas? It, it really happens. You're not guilty. How do you find not guilty? Oh, he's justified. He's justified from the charge that was brought against him. So what's the result of being justified? You're set at liberty. You may go. You're free to go. Or guilty. You're guilty. A penalty must be paid. Justice must be satisfied. If you do this and you're found guilty of doing it, you must pay the penalty. Now, justified is not the same as pardoned. Justified is not the same as pardoned. Hmm, really? No. You can be guilty and yet for some reason you can be pardoned. Somebody can be guilty but because of extenuating circumstances or whatever else it might be, there can be a pardon pronounced. But that's not the same as being justified because you're still guilty of the crime. You've still committed the crime, even though justice says, OK, we'll pardon you from the penalty. What about God's justice? What about God's justice? God won't do that. Anything less than absolute moral perfection in thought and word and action is sin. It's incompatible with God's character, God's holy character. He is holy. He is pure. His kingdom is absolutely pure. Nothing that defiles can enter it. The unchangeable God, the unchangeable God, 
Let those words sink in. God cannot change like we, in a fickle way, change our minds. God can never tolerate sin. And his word tells us, I mean, the the chapter of Ezekiel uh, 18, in two separate verses, verses 4 and 20, it's repeated to underline it. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The soul that sins cannot be accepted by God. And yet... All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. What, you and me? Yes, you and me. You and me. What, the Apostle Paul? Yes, the Apostle Paul, who said, the chief of sinners. He was the chief of sinners. In everything we think and say and do, we transgress God's perfection. And we confirm our just condemnation. It is appointed to man. Every single one of us, every single one of us in this room, elsewhere, on the internet, anybody that will listen to this later, it is appointed to man to die once. And then the judgment. To be justified under the law of God, we must be found to be without sin. And not just neutral, but as righteous as God is righteous. Let me say that again. To be justified under God's law, we must be found to be without sin, and not just neutral, but as righteous as God is righteous. And that is alarming to any whom the Holy Spirit has made conscious of it. That is alarming. It's it's an awakening that I am a sinner before the just and holy righteousness of God. I am completely incompatible with everything that is good, that everything that is God, I'm completely incompatible with it. And it's alarming. You know when um, in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, when Christian was made aware of his sin by the Holy Spirit, and his family thought he'd gone mad, and the people, his neighbours, they all thought, all living in Vanity Fair, they all thought, what on earth's wrong with you? Come on, shake yourself up, stop this, this is absolute nonsense. But he was burdened, nearly crushed with a burden, that he was a sinner, loaded with sin, and that he was appointed to die once, and then he would face God with that sin on his back, and he knew that a holy God must, could not other than condemn him to hell. But here's the comfort. Here's the good news. Here's the gospel. Good news, that's what it means. God's word tells God's sheep that in himself, in himself, the Lord, himself the Lord, all of them, all of his sheep shall be justified. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. Let's see how. Though we can never Plumb the depths. In one 35, 40 minute sermon, how can we ever plumb the depths of this? A lifetime of reading, of hearing, of meditating will constantly reveal new angles. It won't reveal new truth, it will reveal new angles on divine truth. But for now, I want to think of three things. Firstly, the sin of Christ's sheep. How do they get rid of it? It's transferred to the Lord Jesus Christ to the Lord, to our God. Secondly, the righteousness of God is transferred to the sheep. And thirdly, 
the title, the inheritance of eternal life is confirmed. So firstly then, the sin of Christ's sheep transferred to him. We used to sing back in our minion circles many, many years ago, gone, 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 yes, my sins are gone. Now my soul is free and in my heart's a song. Buried in the deepest sea, yes, that's good enough for me. I will live eternally. Praise God, my sins are gone. And you say, well, what wonderful doctrine. You know, the trouble was that the Arminian doctrine of the circles in which we used to sing that was false doctrine. It was false Arminian theology, which was not the theology of the book of God. And that Arminian theology, that faulty Arminian theology, that Christ who in actual fact would prove under scrutiny to be antichrist, that gave no basis for the claim that gone, 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 yes, my sins are gone. You see, you can be blithely going along thinking that you're about to inherit a fortune from some uh, rich benefactor. But if your name's not in the will when it's read you're going to be dreadfully disappointed. You know, think about that. You can think, oh yes, it's all going to be all right. No, if your name's not on the will, it doesn't matter what you think and what you hope, it isn't coming to pass. We need to be found to really have no sin when examined by the law of God under his justice. Think about it. You and me who are sinners, we know we know that we're sinners. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, says John. Yes, in the flesh, undoubtedly, we're sinners. And when we're examined under the justice of God, what will it say? What will it say? Will it say, no, he's not a sinner, he's justified. Let him go. How shall our text be true? How shall it be true that in the Lord all the seed of Israel shall be justified and shall glory? There is the key. The answer's there. In the Lord. In the Lord. It's by divine decree. God is almighty God over all. By divine decree, God has done what human justice cannot do. An accused can only be justified in human justice in our courts of law. An accused of a crime can only be justified that they didn't commit that crime, that they don't bear that crime, they're not responsible for it, they haven't a penalty to pay. You can only be justified by being found that according to the evidence, you didn't commit the crime. You're not guilty. Somebody might be found guilty, and his penalty under the law might be paid by someone else. I, I, might, um, I might commit a speeding offence, let's say, and I might be fined £100. And it's never happened, don't worry, and I don't think it's likely to, but some benefactor might come along and say, oh, do you know, I feel sorry for him. There's the £100, I'll clear that. The debt is gone, the debt is paid, but I'm still the speeder. I still committed the offence. It's still on my driving record that I committed that offence. But God decreed that the sins of his people, who are his people? His elect, his sheep, his body. He is the head of the body, his church, his people chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. A multitude that no man can number from every tribe and tongue and kindred. A multitude that John in Revelation 7 and verse 9 looked he looked, he'd seen all the tribes in their earthly 
the 144,000. Then he looks in heaven and there's a multitude that no man can number. This is the, is the people of God. And God has decreed that the sins of that multitude should be placed on his son. And that justice, divine justice, what divine justice demanded, that the soul that sins, it shall die, that penalty should be paid by him, their substitute. What does the scripture say? Turn over a few pages to Isaiah chapter 53. Now, I'm not going to seek to preach a sermon on Isaiah 53, but just point one or two things out. But I'll tell you what I would do. Our brother Peter Many preached on Isaiah 53 last week. What a splendid sermon. What an excellent sermon. If you get a chance, go back to on Sermon Audio and look at his preaching on Isaiah 53. But I just want to bring out one or two things. In Isaiah 53 and verse 4, look what it says there. He's talking about... He's talking about the Lamb of God. He's talking about the Messiah. He's talking about God's elect servant. Behold my servant, says verse 13 of the previous chapter. This is Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the God-man coming, God becoming man, that by death he might save his people from their sins. And it says in verse 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs. Griefs are not sins. Griefs are the effects of sin. Yeah? He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Sorrows are not sins, but they are the effects of sin. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Ah, there. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, the chastisement that brings about our peace with God, the penalty that had to be paid to make our peace with God was upon him. He paid it. And with his stripes, the stripes that were the stripes of beating that were laid upon him, by those stripes that he bore, we, his people, are healed. All we, all we, all of his people, like sheep. That's why he calls us his sheep in John 10. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, we've gone astray from the justice and righteousness and holiness of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. We all have hearts that are desperately wicked. Who can know them? God knows them. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the, this is it. Look, the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all, of all his people, of his church, of his body, of his sheep. All of the iniquity that is the iniquity of the sheep has been laid on him. Who did it? The Lord hath laid on him. On whom? On the Lord. The Lord said unto my Lord. You'll read that in the scriptures. This is the second person of the Trinity bearing the sins of his people under the justice of God. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Let's jump down to verse 11 for the sake of time. He, God, shall see of the travail of his soul, the, the, the burden, the work of his soul, and shall be satisfied. God, in his justice, shall be satisfied with what Christ has done in bearing the punishment of the sins of his people. He shall be satisfied by his knowledge, by knowing him, Shall my righteous servant justify many? Do you know him? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? 
Because if you do, you are justified in him. He shall justify many. How can he justify many sinners? How can he make many sinners who are really in the flesh sinners under the justice of God, under the searching eye of God, how can it be said they haven't got any sin? They're not guilty of any sin. They're righteous. They're justified. How can he do that? Answer, he shall bear their iniquities. Verse 12, therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors as he hung on that cross between two criminals. He was numbered with the transgressors. And listen, he bare the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He bore the effects of his people's sins and their sins only by bearing the sins themselves. He actually bore the sins of his people is what it said. It's, here's, here's a word that you might not have heard before, but it's vicarious. It was a vicarious act. He, he acted and did it for another or for many others, his sheep. He did it in their place so that under the justice and decree of Almighty God, it was counted, it is counted, as though those sheep had done it themselves. It was vicarious, it was in their place. The guilt of it he bore, the penalty of it he bore. He made payment for for it. He suffered the pain of it as the substitute of his people, exactly as the New Testament confirms. Paul writing to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. You you ought to know this off by heart. For he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, the sinless Lamb of God, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What a mysterious transaction. What a marvellous work that the holy God should make the people he loved, who are sinners and guilty under his law by nature, he should justify them. He should make them the righteousness of God in him. What does it say about cursed in Galatians chapter 3? Cursed is everyone that doesn't continue in all things written in the book of the law to do them. (coughs) And then in verse 13 of chapter 3, but Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. That curse of the law that says the soul that sins it shall die. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By himself being made a curse for us. He bore our sin and therefore cursed was he. And he was hung on that tree, that cross of Calvary. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, uh, Peter says this, well, verse 22, he says, He did no sin, neither was any guile found in his mouth. Verse 21 even, go back to there. Hereunto... Here were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. Him who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. Uh, 
glorious words, glorious words of scriptural truth. It was foreshadowed in the Day of Atonement, which was given in the Law of Moses in Leviticus 16. And if you're able to turn there, turn to verse 20 of Leviticus 16. It talks about the priest getting things prepared for the Day of Atonement, and a bullock was to be slain for the sins of the priest, that the priest might be then regarded as a sinless intercessor on behalf of the people. All of this picturing that which is actually accomplished by Christ. And in verse 20, when he had made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. This is the scapegoat. There were two goats. One's been killed in the place for the, for, for the people. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all their sins, putting them, putting them, putting the sins. It was symbol. It didn't really happen, but it was symbol. He put them on the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. You know who that fit man is that takes away our sins. That's our Lord Jesus Christ, who alone is the fit man. And the goat shall bear upon him, the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let the goat go in the wilderness, never to be found. The scapegoat, it's there in that that the animal symbolically bore the sins of the congregation. The animals are made to be the sin of the congregation of Israel, to bear the sin of the congregation of Israel. And note it was the congregation of Israel that it was done for. It wasn't done for mankind in general. It was the congregation of Israel. What does Isaiah say? In that uh, verse, our text, verse 25 of chapter 44, in the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified. And who is Israel? The New Testament tells us, Galatians 6 verse 16, the Israel of God. The, the Jacobs made, the, 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 the cheats, the swindlers, the sinners, Jacob made Israel princes with God. It's for Israel. He, he actually bore the sins of his people. Did he actually bear them? Look at Psalm 69. Look at Psalm 69. I caused some controversy many, many years ago, probably about 12 or 14 years ago now, something like that. And uh, I, I preached on Psalm 69. And uh, there were people who fell out with me quite seriously and said they weren't going to listen to me anymore. Because when it came to verse 5, that verse there in Psalm 69 says, O God, thou knowest my foolishness, and my sins are not hid from thee. And I asked the question, whose sins? Whose sins are they? And I said, they're Christ's sins. Ah, <gasps> said many. He's calling Christ a sinner. No, I wasn't. I'm saying that when he was on the cross, he bore the sins of his people. On the cross. Look, it's clearly Christ. If you look at verse 20 and 21 of that same psalm, reproach hath broken my heart. I am full of heaviness. Who's this speaking? It's Christ. 
I looked for some to take pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. It's Christ on the cross who's saying, O God, thou knowest my foolishness, my guiltiness, and my sins are not hid from thee. Whose sins? His sins. Because the sins of his people were made his very own. They were made his sins. In Hebrews 9 and verse 28, just after that verse, uh, appointed to man to die once and then the judgment. Verse 28, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without salvation. When he was on the cross, he was bearing the sins of many, but he's coming again the second time and there won't be any sin on him that time because he's coming in judgment to end all things. So where are the sins of his people? Psalm 103 verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. You know why it doesn't say as far as the north is from the south? I'll tell you why. You start at the North Pole and you travel all the way to the South Pole and keep going. And where do you get to? You get back to the North Pole and so on. But if you start anywhere else on the equator and go east or west, you keep going. You can never, ever find what's called the west because relatively everywhere is either west or east of wherever you are. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. With this doctrine, this true scriptural doctrine, we can sing, gone, 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 yes, my sins are gone. My sin, we sang it in the first uh, verse, uh, in the third verse of that hymn, it is well with my soul. My sin, not in part, but the whole. The bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to his cross and I bear it no more. I'm justified. In the Lord, I am justified. So that when it comes to judgment, here's two verses. One is the, one of the, the, the oracles of Balaam, that false prophet. Nevertheless, he spoke true words because God gave them to him. Numbers 23 and verse 21, when uh, Balak tried to get Balaam to curse Israel. And he said, I can only do what the Lord tells me. And these are the words that the Lord put in his mouth. That God has not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither has he seen perverseness in Israel. In Jeremiah 50 and verse 20, the day of judgment comes, the iniquity of Israel. We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the things done in the body. The iniquity of Israel shall be sought for. The iniquity of the sheep of God, the church of God, the people of God shall be sought for and there shall be none. And the sins of Judah and they shall not be found because he will have taken them away. In Isaiah, uh, again, Isaiah and... Uh, Chapter 44, Isaiah chapter 44 and verses 22 and 23, we read there God saying to his people, Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, then verse 22, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Sing, O ye heavens, for the Lord hath done it. Shout, ye lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, ye mountains. O forest and every tree therein. Why? For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. He's redeemed Israel and glorified himself in Israel. 
It says in uh, Acts chapter 3, I think it's Peter preaching, verse 19, he calls on them to repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, taken away. This is God's marvellous work. In Isaiah 29 and verse 14, we read this, Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvellous work among this people, even a marvellous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Human logic won't apply to it. And then it's quoted. It's quoted in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 18 and 19, where we read this, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. The wisdom of the wise... Uh, where, where, where was it? Oh, foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. We just read it in Isaiah. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of, of, of this world in the gospel of his grace? He's a just God and a saviour. Christ was made the sin of his sheep and only then. He didn't die for the sins of the whole world. If you hear anybody saying that, under any title of any preacher or denomination or whatever it is, it is not true because it is not taught by God's world. Christ was made the sin of his sheep and his sheep alone. And for them and them alone, he paid the divine penalty. It says in Isaiah, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. They have received of their sins the double, meaning the exact reflection. He has paid for their sins, one for one, exactly what justice required. That's what that means. So in union with him, his sheep are judged to be without sin. So who can bring any charge against God's elect, says Romans 8? Christ has died. He's taken it away. My sin, not the part in, but the whole, is nailed to his cross and I bear it no more. Do you believe this? Are you united with him? Then you can sing, as we sang, Bold shall I stand in that great day. Oh, I think we're going to sing it as our final hymn. That's right, verse 3 of our final hymn. Bold shall I stand in that great day, for who ought to my charge shall lay, while through thy blood absolved I am from sin's tremendous curse and shame. But then, quickly, the righteousness of God is transferred to the sheep. I read it in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Sin removed is half the story. But we must be made the righteousness of God in Christ. For without it, without holiness, without righteousness, we shall not see the Lord. To enter God's eternal kingdom, you must be judged holy. Where sin once was, there must be holiness to fill the gap. It can't just be left empty. As Jesus said about getting rid of the demon, he said, beware that you cast out the demon and leave the house empty for the devil to come back with seven other spirits worse than the first one. You've got to fill the gap. And as sin was transferred to Christ and paid for, God's righteousness must really be transferred to his sheep. The righteousness of God, says Romans 3.23, unto all and upon all them that believe. That's the only identifying mark that you believe the gospel. But there we have the word of God telling us the righteousness of God is upon us. In Isaiah 54 verse 17, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and, listen, their righteousness 
is of me, saith the Lord. The righteousness of God, by virtue of his divine, triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, by the virtue of his divine, holy being, not legal obedience of Jesus in this life. Yes, of course, Jesus obeyed the law perfectly. But if we're justified by the legal obedience of Jesus, why would Jesus need to die? If righteousness come by the works of the law, then Christ is dead in vain. No, the obedience of Christ that justifies the sheep is his obedience, as it says in Philippians 2 verse 8, he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Thus, the sheep are actually clothed with the qualifying wedding garment. Uh, I, I will greatly rejoice, says Isaiah 61. You remember it. He's clothed me with the garments of salvation. In Revelation 19 verse 8, uh, it was granted to the bride, the people of God, in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb, that she should be arrayed in white. And the white, that is the righteousness of the saints. Not the righteous works they've done for the righteousnesses. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, the works we do in the flesh. However well we try, it's the righteousness of Christ. The robe of Christ is ever new. I think that hymn's going to say it again. Yes, the robe of Christ is ever new. And looking on his bride, Christ sees his bride, his people, his sheep. Look at the descriptions. This Just scratching the surface. Ephesians 5, 27. Speaking of his church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or this bunch of sinners, yes, made the righteousness of God in him. A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, but holy and without blemish. In the Song of Solomon, chapter 4 and verse 7, Thou art all fair, my love, there is no spot in thee. This is Christ speaking to his people. In chapter 5 of Song of Solomon, verse 2, My sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled, thus God's sheep are made. In the final minute or so, heirs of eternal life, heirs of eternal life, entitled to it. The, the deed is written, it's signed in blood. The seed of Israel only are justified in the Lord. The seed of God's chosen people only are justified in the Lord. The seed of the church of Jesus Christ, which is the Israel of God, are justified in the Lord justified by the transfer of their sin to Christ. It's taken away. When God's justice, which cannot lie, looks for the sins of his people, it's not there. It was blotted out in his death. And by the transfer of God's righteousness to them, by virtue of eternal union with Christ, eternal union, for he is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, says Revelation 13.8. The sheep... The sinners who are worthy of eternal death are those who, as John says, 1 John 3, 14, they have passed from death unto life. Entry into eternal bliss is certain, for Jesus prayed it. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he prayed this, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am that they may behold my glory. Are you amongst the sheep of our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep? Well, God cannot deny his son's prayer. You will be there and you will behold his glory. You will be with him. God can't deny that. 
What a glorious gospel. The seed of Israel justified in the Lord and glory in him. There's a verse that I love in Psalm 85 verse 10. It says, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. What a glorious gospel. Amen.